if i'm completely honest the teachers like at at this point teachers are more mercenaries than missionaries so wherever they get the highest incentives they will go uh now it's not as structured as like a european football club that there is a transfer fee etc but still the game is very similar that you know they get more amount at the other but what we have done differently is so so that's why the more skin in the game you give for example whatever uh, whenever a student is brought to an academy by a teacher they get 10% and i think we are one of the few edtech companies who do revenue sharing uh this is also like similarly what happens with doctors in the top hospitals there are some doctors who are the best now if you keep them on fixed then the doctors are not motivated if you keep them on fully variable then the hospital administration won't make that much money so i think i think at the end of the day let's face that fact that uh money is a strong motivator the second big motivator is status This is episode 19 of First Principles, the fortnightly leadership podcast from the Ken, and I am Rohan Dharmakumar, your host. If you are a regular listener, thank you and welcome back. And if this is your first episode, it's a great episode to begin with. Today we're speaking with Gaurav Munjal, the co-founder and CEO of Unacademy, one of India's most aggressive and highest valued edtech startups. last valued at close to 3.5 billion dollars gorov got into the content game when he was just in class 9 in a few years he had started getting monthly payments from google for the ads he ran on his content in college he had a blog devoted to actress priyanka chopra that fetched him hundreds of thousands of rupees each month on another facebook page devoted to fashion that he ran chinese brands paid him hundreds of dollars each month to run their ads so when He finally started an academy in 2015. It was in many ways either a culmination or at least logical evolution of his life thus far. Nearly 8 years and 835 million dollars in venture capital later, an academy is a company that reflects much of Gaurav's personality. It has no time for niceties. It would rather disrupt than defend itself. It is supremely confident in the face of even existential crises. and it attaches zero value to classical or theoretical notions of education i mean who else would say that education is really a tournament that can change lives and that teachers are coaches and that the best coaches are like mercenaries and that they already earn more than second rung movie stars strap in for another great conversation filled with counterintuitive views on education innovation organization building and survival Let's start. Gaurav, you said. an academy is not in the education business it's in the motivation business you said this in the past who is an academy trying to motivate students teachers other edtechs 
help us understand this so the statement comes from the philosophy that uh, if people wanted best content and best education that is already available on youtube the reason and you know an academy started as a free platform because the founders of an academy were teaching on youtube we got distribution um and at some point we are like we want to build our own youtube for education etc and education like entertainment will be very celebrity driven so uh, when you have zomato swiggy or other platforms there you have commoditized labor working for an abi whereas when it comes to content platform including education if there is a good teacher the pareto principle will be applied and everybody would want to study from that teacher and if you go to that teacher's class it's not the content because the content is already available is the fact that these teachers these educators uh, make you want to study now um, some of these teachers are from kota some of these teachers are from delhi uh, and and they inspire the learners that's why you know whether it's uh, mr brunal in upsc or uh, um, some educators in uh, j neet these you'll you'll attend the class and you'll be like it's almost like a theatrical experience so i think i think i had said that statement in a way that uh, and and that's why our life classes product worked i mean we launched the product in jan end 2019 uh, and it was life classes subscription to the best teachers and uh, this year uh, the revenues of that product will be upwards of 1000 crores so i think uh, i think and honestly every single piece of content that is being taught in our classes is already available in some form of or the other but learners still come to learn from the best teachers because these teachers motivate the learners to crack these examinations or these teachers would would just tell them something that would inspire them intrinsically which they would not get uh, at other places so i'd like to go deeper into that so what you what you're saying and and as i understand it is an inversion of the way my generation and i am an older generation viewed education which was essentially that what was in the books mattered right the syllabus mattered the theory mattered and then occasionally you would have the one teacher or the two teacher who were exceptional and and you recognize that but you never expected that everyone would be like that right and what you're saying now it's it's kind of inverted you're saying the theory from what you just said you said what we are teaching everyone else has access to the same the same it's who's teaching it so now the exceptions the few teachers we all remember from our school days are now no longer exceptions they are being elevated and and what you're trying to do is that what if 80% of the people that you learn from are exceptional is that is that a way to kind of look at it yeah i i think specifically for test prep j and neat in every city even when i was growing up let's say 15 years ago there was these famous teachers that this person is very good in physics etc but yeah now that has become a norm uh, now these exceptional teachers especially online education uh, these these teachers are uh, the teachers who everybody wants to learn from uh, and we'll have let's say 10 or 20 teachers where the entire country would be learning from etc and i think uh, i think that shift has happened uh, but it, see when i was in first year i took this course i went to uh, i went to a, a college where uh, the academics were not so good so i i would end up sitting in the library and uh, learn online so there was this program called cs106a by stanford this is 2008 2009 
This was the first year where they put classes of the, that teacher online. And if you see how Mr. Mehran Sahami taught, you know, his it was almost like a theater. Like in one of the classes, he would come dressed as, as somebody else. He would have a story, etc. So I think even in the best universities, etc., the way some of these teachers teach, um, you know, they, they get known for that. Uh, so, but now because of internet, that will happen a lot and that has been happening a lot. I mean, uh, uh, if, if you see one of our competitors, Physics Wala, he, he built an entire company on top of that. So, uh, so yeah, I think it will continue to happen a lot. It's interesting. Uh, I'd like to come back to this later. But for now, before the thought escapes my mind, what you're also saying reflects the fact that teachers were not that expected to be that great in the past. But if even if you look at their incentive structure, they had no incentive to be that yeah. great. Yeah. But now, thanks to the rise of the internet and business models like yours, where you're able to incentivize those teachers to perform better, there is also the shift that's taking place, which, which is where earlier teachers were good because they were just great teachers and they were doing it purely because they enjoyed teaching. Now there is an economic incentive as well, which yeah. I think is fair. Yeah. No, I, I think it's awesome because, see, at the end of the day, I'm not in the education business. I'm in the motivation business and I'm in the tournament business. At the end of the day, test prep is tournament. We are prepping kids for a tournament because that tournament will give them, it will change their lives. Now, these people, these teachers are sort of coaches of the tournament. And if they are helping people change their life, I mean, they deserve to make a lot of money. I mean, the top teachers at an academy, uh, I mean, there are at least 30 to 40 teachers who make more than a crore per year. So I think, uh, 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 yeah, I think the... Uh, and, and now they can grow their distribution. They can grow their following. They can have a YouTube channel. They can have a Telegram channel. They can teach on graphy. And they can amass that following. I understand these teachers are motivating students to want to learn and to perform better. It's It's not just that. It's also how they teach. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a particular concept being taught in a very unique way that increases retention. My question is slightly tangential, which is it's become incredibly competitive as all teachers have had to raise their games. Uh, there are more and more celeb teachers and superstars. I would ask the same question. How do you motivate your teachers? The teachers are motivating the students. How do you motivate your teachers? Is that something that you think about as well? See, if I'm completely honest... Uh, I would want you to be the, nothing but... The teachers... Like, at, at this point, teachers are more mercenaries than missionaries. So, wherever they get the highest incentives, they will go. Uh, now, it's not as structured as, like, a European football club, that there is a transfer fee, etc. But still... The game is very similar that, you know, they get more amount at the other. But what we have done differently is so. So that's why the more skin in the game you give, for example, whatever, uh, whenever a student is brought to an academy by a teacher, they get 10%. And I think we are one of the few ed tech companies who do revenue sharing. Uh, this is also like similarly what happens with doctors in the top hospitals. There are some doctors who are the best. 
Now, if you keep them on fixed, then the doctors are not motivated. If you keep them on fully variable, then the hospital administration won't make that much money. So I think, I think at the end of the day, let's face that fact that uh, money is a strong motivator. The second big motivator is status. So if there is an ed tech where you hired a top teacher, but that, um, I don't want to name them, but some of our competitors discourage teachers from building a YouTube channel or Telegram channel. Because, because they don't want their brands to become strong enough. Is that the reason? Yeah, I mean, those companies are started by educators themselves. So they would want their brand to be the biggest brand. Whereas we have always promoted teachers in our brand campaigns, etc. And we never went to any of our ads ourselves. So, uh, so that is one, whether my brand or fame, as a teacher, whether my brand or fame uh, will rise if I come with you, or whether you'll try to kill that and you'll just try to use it for your benefit. Second is, do I have an incentive structure where if you make a lot of revenue, I make a lot of revenue. So I think these two are there. Uh, uh, and and that's fine. I, I, I think they are not wrong in it. It's, it's just how it is. I also see this as a sort of inevitable phase that we have to go through. Like if you look at the past, you're looking at times where teachers largely didn't make enough money and now you're looking you're going through a phase where that model has changed and teachers who are great can make a lot of money and that obviously like you said will lead to a lot of people chasing money in the short term but i want to understand if you fast forward let's say five years or ten years once this settles down into a more stable pattern what will it look like no i think i think directionally uh, what will happen is that uh, uh, this will not settle down. In fact, more and more educators would want more variable pay. Uh, and some of these educators would be earning 10, 20 crores per year. So in fact, now becoming a top educator is a career option, like becoming a top YouTuber or a top podcaster or going to Bollywood. Like if you see the mid-tier of Bollywood, like let's forget about the top three and the Shahid Kapoor's of the world, etc. But if you look at the mid-tier, I think I think the top educators of an India would be earning much more than the mid-tier of Bollywood. One, it is not predictable. Second, it has an expiry date because at some point, you know, uh, as time passes, you will not be getting enough movies. But with education, with time, the earnings for an educator just increase. So, in fact, I would love a model where, uh, uh, you know, only 30 or 40% of educators' payment is fixed, rest is variable, and then they have these incentives to deliver the greatest content uh, and attract more and more students. Uh, this will happen whether we like it or not. This is already happening. While all of this is going on, in comes AI. Yeah. And you seem to be fairly gung-ho about how AI, you recently launched a product as well, uh, built around AI where you can um, say something and get an answer back through it. How do you, do you not view AI as disruptive to the human element, the subjective element? Because if an AI can essentially ingest all the content out there, if it can observe which teachers are performing better, how they're performing better, why they're performing better, could not an AI-driven competitor that may or may not exist today try to build 
a better system that teaches are you not worried about that no first of all whatever will be built will be built by us uh, second the commodity part of education will 100% be disrupted in fact i was what just, is that if i may ask you to, what is the commodity let's side say of doubts, education let's say doubt solving where you don't care whether it's a celebrity or not you have a doubt you want a solution so it's transactional it's like yeah. there is a problem what is the solution i mean at at this point uh, i mean if i can like we are testing out bunch of questions and i asked somebody give me a super tough question i gave it to the ai bot that we have built and the person said this is like really good it's like 7 on 10 answer and that is with 20 days of effort so the commodity part of the business will be 100% disrupted i mean let's say what doubtnut did they have let's say millions of daus but each video doubt so 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 doubtnut is basically you click a picture of the question you post they have these answers in the database made by human educators and uh, you get a response because if that question matches the ones they already have you will get the video if they don't have then then a human being will make that video now i'm assuming that one video would cost them anywhere between 500 to 1000 rupees to make uh the video that our ai like the ai system that we have built is working on which will launch in like 10 days now i'm not saying that the video quality would be at par with the human educators today but it will already be 70% there i mean i'll show you that stuff uh, after this as well um the cost of making that video for me is 1 rupees uh that will be disrupted i think for example and and doubtnut needs to launch j neat etc as categories I, I, and i'm assuming they'll copy us and they'll also because what's a competitive advantage once everyone has access to ai it's just that whether you are a sales driven company whether you are a content driven company or whether you are a tech driven company and so far in education we have not seen a tech driven company so far bejus is a sales driven company physics wala is a content fame driven company uh, allen is again a very content pedagogy driven company uh, i think we'd like to still view an academy as a tech driven company so the adoption of tech would be super fast for example if we are the first ones to launch the best features for example let's take the example of a subscription product now it was more a business model pivot and ui ux even till today we don't have a close number 2 and it's been 4 years even till today so i think i think that mindset shift is needed the lucky the fortunate part is that none of my competitors think uh, product they think education they think fame they think content but they don't think product and we like to take pride in the fact that we are product first we are tech first and i have met all of them even one on one i say you know you guys are not thinking product but i i don't think that's that's the dna so so i think for example i was reading this tweet the other day that ai benefits those who already know coding at an individual level because ai is a feature on top if you are a programmer if you are a techie but if you were not that in the first place now the deficit the difference and the deficit will be even higher so i think uh, i think i'm not uh, worried about that part uh at all uh because there is no zomato swiggy type situation here where both the products are good both are trying to outcompete each other etc i mean when it comes to product and tech if, if i may stop you and ask you how do you come to that conclusion how, what makes you say there aren't competing products what what metrics are you looking at to arrive at this decision is it 
See, number you, of people who visit is it your revenue is it number of people who visit your like, any you know, single metric versus? any single metric for an online product we are ahead any single metric whether that's revenue whether that's uh, but that's uh, not what you said you said like there are no it's not like swiggy zomatos one can say maybe zomatos larger than swiggy in these cities or swiggy is larger you're saying no one's in the same range as you in the online space yes offline you have alan and akash who are much ahead of us but in the online space there is nobody in the same range which is a great segue for me to ask you could you tell us in a line or two what is an academy see an academy is now uh, because you know we have done so many pivots etc that now i have a clear there are certain tournaments or goals in life that people have to appear um an academy just helps you achieve those so whether it's through online whether it's through offline uh, and these tournaments slash goals slash test prep examinations are usually life changing so it's a it's a utility product uh, and uh, we we build the best products and features to help an individual irrespective of their uh, for example our online products are affordable much more cheaper than the offline products um, you know they help bridge that gap uh that if you could not afford to pay 1 and 1/2 lakh rupees to go to a coaching center you can buy a 20 20 20 to 30000 product of ours online and you can that will help you crack the examinations how do you make money is it is it just a single bucket where customers pay you money or if it were pie chart if you were to look at your revenue as a pie chart what are the segments in it so one is the subscription product for live classes Uh, this is like subscription access to 30 40 teachers etc second is we sell individual courses now they may be live or recorded both under the an academy or prep ladder brand uh, third is our offline centers and fourth is we have a tool called graphy where we help other people launch their courses and we take a 10% cut one of the most popular analogies to describe an academy would be what Hmm. I mean honestly whenever we are internally discussing things now the the closest we come to is like a production house uh, like like let's say a yashraj productions but for education uh, because we also have that same problem that let's say we seated an educator and the educator became too big we we get this problem that now the educator is too big to handle or he or she is getting offers from all other places so we have to constantly create these celebrity educators uh keep launching them across categories we have to ensure that our pedagogy and teaching is the best uh i think that's the closest parallel to our online business our offline business has been uh at least till now we have not disrupted anything Uh, at least till now uh, we have it's been one year not even one year 10 months so for now we are just launching offline and giving everyone access to our online product as well uh, but we'll understand that market more and eventually we'll come up with a better product how old is an academy uh, we started in 2015 uh, but the youtube channel was launched when i was in third year of college with the name an academy and then uh, uh, roman when he cracked is 
UPSC exam. Uh, then he started creating videos, and then the channel kind of uh, like saw an uptick. How many employees are you today? Around twenty five hundred. What's your revenue? Revenue uh, last year we did thousand crores in collections. Uh, this is the money that we get in the bank, but the reporting that we'll do is accrued revenue. So the accrued would be somewhere around let's say nine uh, hundred. And this year we are projected to do thirteen fifty. So we'll grow around thirty five percent this year. Most of our businesses will be profitable this year. What was your last or most recent valuation? I think three point four four billion post. How much venture capital have you raised till date? Eight thirty five million. Why were you able to arrive at this market, either ahead of others? What brought you to this market? I think I already had that YouTube channel running. I saw Roman's videos getting a lot of views. I knew education is a big market. Roman is your co-founder. Yes, uh, and then uh, I think that it—it's it, just you Why know. Why did you have a YouTube channel? What? Why did you have a YouTube channel? So I think uh, uh, I. went into content when i was in 9th standard so i was i got my first google adsense check when i was 14 or 15 years old so i started coding at the age of 12 uh, i used to run these blogs at 14 or 15 so then in college uh, or post college roman and i were top writers on quora top top 20 in the world so there was this intersection that there, there were two things i ended up loving during college one is coding second is uh, content so so for example i i remember i used to run this blog called priyanka chopra blog it used to uh, it used to be the number one search result if you search her name and i used to make a lakh a month during my college years which which was pretty awesome like uh, i mean i come from a middle class family and when i stumbled upon this kind of money it was pretty addictive ke you know i can generate a lot of content and make money so so and every year uh, it used to happen that I, i used to start a new project so whether it's committees in school or college i would mostly be the president of all the committees uh, i would be organizing events and i would have blogs or youtube channels or i had a facebook page called fashion nama uh, which got a million likes when i was in second year of college and uh, Chinese brands used to pay me six hundred, seven hundred dollars a month to advertise on that page. So I was, I was in in a way an influencer before it was popular. I can't uh, but help observe the fact that you and Roman are in some senses the version ones of the talent that you are trying to build and retain. Because in many ways you gave your Yeah. Content to Quora and Google and all of those, and yeah. then at some point you said, "Hey, why are we doing this? Why don't we build our own product?" And you did it, yeah. and you have the same uh, thing playing out itself again with your creators as well. At some point, many of them will wonder, "We are so big, why are we doing this for an academy? Yeah. We should do our own thing." Agreed. How I mean, do I you th- hold them back? Do you try to hold them back? No, we we can't. Um, I mean, at this point. if it makes economic sense for us if we can pay them more money but if you know sharukh was launched with yashraj but eventually he built red chilies 
uh, he still does a movie with the Ashraj because of the relationship. In fact, we try and have good relationship with the educators. We might have burnt a few bridges because of the layoffs that we did. Uh, because there was some bad blood because uh, the online revenues didn't grow as much as they should have after COVID. Uh, so we had to get our costs under control. But except that part, we have been pretty good to educators. Um, so, so, so if they like, like they would, we would have the relationship with them that if they tried doing something, they started selling their course on Class Plus or Graphy, they would want to come back to us. If they want to come back to us, we'll take their calls, and it would be a smooth transition. How old are you? I will be thirty-three uh, this September. I'm thirty-two right now. Are you married? Yes. Do you have kids? No. What were you as a child? I mean, I I remember just being uh, very rebellious. Every parent-teacher's meeting, uh, <laughs> my parents would come home and they would reprimand me because something I did, something I did in the class, I threw some chalk. I don't know. I, I was very rebellious as a kid, but I was also very creative. So I would be involved. I would want to be a part of every single extracurricular activity. I remember I made a short film when I was in 10th standard. Uh, I used to love coding a lot, a lot. What was your family history? Uh, what What did your uh, folks do? So uh, uh, my father is a doctor. Uh, he was the uh, he was the part of this hospital, Saket Hospital, which is one of the largest hospitals in Jaipur. And my mother used to run. She is not a doctor, but she ran her diagnostic center, etc. So we grew up in Jaipur. I was born in Bikaner. Then we grew up in uh, Jaipur. Typical middle class family. Uh, uh, Did that have anything to do with your worldview also? Because you've you've referred to the fact that doctors are also in some senses, the same cycle has played out in India with doctors where particular doctors, once they become very good and they start earning a certain amount of money, they realize that they call the shots and either they open their own clinics or they go to a different... And, and that same dynamic is playing out with teachers. It's essentially talent. No, I, I was... I had zero interest in that. So I remember uh, I was 11 or 12 years old I had read some Dainik Bhaskar or Patrika or something uh, that Bill Gates became a billionaire or uh, something like that. I remember uh, going to my father at the age of 11 or 12 and telling him that like he started Windows, I want to start something called Doors. So I remember that, uh, see, one of the one of the reasons that uh, uh, I think an academy will succeed and whatever we do will succeed. And I'm not coming from a... Uh, like a narcissistic point of view or from a overconfident point of view. This is all I wanted to do as a kid. Uh, I'm living the best life. I It's it's like I found my passion early on. And uh, uh, this and, you know, I used to love stories. So I would I would read Harry Potter a lot. I would, uh, I would read fiction a lot. These days it's more non-fiction, but whether, you know, my, one of my favorite books is Catcher in the Rye or, you know, I, I would read these books. And somehow, for me, coding and creating products, uh, and, and I used to write stories, for me, that creation was super important. From that, what's your advice to 
young folks on choosing a career and becoming good at it over time? See, my advice is that uh, uh, my usually advice is that um, I don't know. Let me. I need to think on this because. Uh, I mean, usually now my advice would be that one of one of the reasons that I'm a I'm an entrepreneur is because I was a content creator first. See, when it's when it's either creating a product or content. you realize that uh, you know you get this infinite scale that you will not get if you are getting paid by the hour so my advice usually becomes that uh, 10 years from now 20 years from now creation will be huge now whether you are creating a game on roblox there are kids in us creating games on roblox whether you are creating a youtube channel whether you are live streaming on twitch you are a chess player but you live stream on twitch and you make hundreds of thousands of dollars so my advice usually is that these leverage points that you have uh use them uh, and understand that the uh, you know this this whole education system and i know i'm trying to get them to uh, these colleges uh, but i think entering into these colleges makes them a good employee it prepares them to be a good employee it does not make them a creator so i am i mean i i was obsessed with computer science but i knew i hated physics chemistry maths so i didn't get into iit but in a way i'm also lucky because i think if i would have gotten into an iit uh i think i would have been more satisfied with my life because i went to xavier's jaipur where all the toppers come from and all my friends went into iit bombay i had this itch that you know uh, i'm a failure so i w- i used to do things more differently and i used to hard work even more because i used to be in this constant uh, uh, race that you know they have already taken a step ahead uh, interesting so if i were to kind of place you in some kind of a bug it's like the intersection of two circles one of which is doing something which you enjoyed and the other one is a sense that you did not get what you want and you failed so you're doing something which you enjoy at the same time you also have this chip on your shoulder that i want to kind of yeah prove to the others and that both of them fuel each other yeah okay i mean what? it used to be that was an initial motivator now i really give a fuck about i mean the extrinsic part now i think intrinsically uh, you know i see founders uh how they change after getting their secondary like they'll make a million bucks and they'll be like they'll take weekends off and they'll travel and they'll they'll chill and i'm not talking about the best founders i'm talking about some founders who do that and i don't get it for me the more i achieve or even when i uh, made some money i just wanted to work even harder next day because this this was the by product what still motivates me is that i remember that uh uh you know everybody has something that they want to show to the world i remember that i was i was a i was a very socially awkward kid i was i was weird in a way i used to talk but i used to be weird in that sense that my classmates would not like me they would think that he is different but then i remember in when i was 12 years old i made this kbc uh, program in q basic q basic was the language 
and uh, we showed it the teacher liked it so much that they called everyone in the class and they showed that program to them and uh, i think in a way i'm still that kid who wants his products uh, to be uh, like who wants his products to be appreciated by the what are you paranoid about i am uh, i am paranoid about becoming irrelevant so um uh, whether it's a new tech or it's new ways of doing things i don't want the next 22 23 year old kid uh to disrupt my products by thinking better by executing you use better. the word disrupt disruption is a very commonly used word in many of your um interviews articles etc and all that how do you view disruption you just said that you don't want to be disrupted by another younger you uh is that is disruption in in many ways it's like the threat of becoming irrelevant is that something which is very important to you and to an academy yeah i mean think of what happened with nokia what i founded to nokia but much smaller scale much smaller scale uh or what we did like offline centers took 30 years to reach 2500 crores of revenue uh, or 2000 crores of revenue we were able to do that in 3 4 years through the online products uh, but now everybody whether that's a physics wall or whether that's akash or alan etc now they are copying us they build this youtube distribution and they sell courses etc so now what we initially built is becoming a commodity so we must continue to innovate we must come up with better products uh, because see you have a 2 3 4 year cycle you start with something at best you get a 2 3 year runway but eventually they will catch now whether it's a delivery app whether it's a p2p payment whether it's a game you have to then continue building these modes etc sorry i'm going to interrupt you this must be very taxing on an organization what i mean is that and on you on the people who work not just in an academy but in many of the um internet and tech driven sectors because what you're saying is true every 4 years you can never say that you've arrived you can never say that your business model is stable you can never say that you can take your market share and therefore you're always paranoid you're always looking in your rearview mirror you always building the next what does this do to the people who are within these organizations and and what can we do about that because i've seen this see i mean tech it's stressful oh it's it's super stressful as a founder i'm sure you internalize that stress like you said this is your company you're not done yet you have a lot of things to prove but what about employees because this stress does it not catch up with employees who are like I thought we just won and now there is this new race again. No so so we have been pretty transparent that every month is a match. I think sports team are oh, So the, this tournament thing runs internally externally yeah. everywhere within an academy. Yeah I mean we we post public results to 2000 people that this leader did a good job this leader did a bad job like public results. Uh I mean if you make everything transparent there is no concept of public shaming. I mean by default if any team in ipl plays they know where they stand they know which player did how much so i think i think the best tech companies are like sports teams um 
I mean, see, if you look at the best in any field, whether it's a Virat Kohli, Sachin Tendulkar, Shah Rukh Khan, I mean, it was never enough for them, right? They wanted their next creation or their next match to be better than what they had done before. So I think that so one of them are superstars in their own field and extremely intrinsically motivated. Yes. But when you look across a large organization of 2,000, 2,500 people, I'm sure no matter how hard a, a greater job you do of filtering, retaining, etc., it's not possible. Not everyone is. I mean, let's so let's, extremely intrinsically motivated. See, let's say some roles are let's say commodity roles where, let's say, you have to do s x task in y time. There you don't need intrinsic motivation. There you need rules. These, if you come, you'll get this much salary. These are your rules. You have three strikes. If you don't deliver for three consecutive months, please go. But then, at least, let's say there is a core team of, let's say, associate director and above or director and above, where I'll have, let's say, eighty people or ninety people. These people have to be handpicked, because whether it's an academy, whether it's Zomato, whether it's Ola, whether it's uh, you know, uh, working in some of the top U.S. tech companies, I think it's. Uh, Uh, it, it's pretty taxing so unless you are intrinsically and 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 then you get whether whether you get esops or you get uh, promotions etc i think i think intrinsically you have to be motivated a lot uh, because you know at least the top 30 40 50 people at an academy are still uh, in office every saturday um, for 8 to 10 hours uh, i still do zoom calls on sundays uh, and this is like 8th year of an academy uh, does it get easier i don't think so if you are fairly ambitious um, and it need not be because because so what is it that you are chasing all of you are chasing if it doesn't get easier after 8 years and only gets tougher and perhaps if you look ahead the next 8 years might be even tougher then it's worth just asking the question that what is it that all of you are chasing i mean it's it's the game uh, i mean the game of building great products great businesses uh so playing the game yeah. is what motivates us not playing and necessarily winning, winning continuing to win and continuing get better at it continuing to win uh what happens when you don't win then i mean, I mean when i say it's pretty taxing don't win, yeah because you have multiple products I mean, I, not all products will win i got three panic attacks in the last 7 months and i have never gotten a panic attack why because uh, suddenly my online business was degrowing I didn't know where the next stage of growth will come from, and I was burning too much money. I mean, at one point I was burning one fifty crores a month. Now this month will be profitable, first profitable month in the history of an academy. We'll generate a profit, little profit, but we'll be profitable, cash flow positive. But the last seven eight months were tough. I mean, uh, I have never smoked in my life, but I got addicted to that vape. I mean, somebody somebody introduced me and. Like every Saturday, I was calling my driver. That can you get me that uh, orange flavor or whatever? Like I mean, and then I had to let go of it because it's super addictive. But I remember that uh, last six to twelve months were very different, uh, and 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 you know nobody talks about it because uh, people think that uh, you are not supposed to share this vulnerable side of yours, etc. I openly talk about it within the organization also because I think then uh, they realize that you know I'm. I'm not putting a brave face. I'm pretty fucked too. I mean, I 
I didn't know where the growth is coming from. But then we did 20, 30 experiments. I remember this talk from uh, Andy Grove in 1992, that you will go through these strategic inflection points. And there are two things you can do. One, you can do m and And however tempting it may be, because you're on the front page. Mergers and acquisitions. But it is not good. And we saw one of our competitors do that. And he's in a lot of trouble right now, like huge trouble. We didn't do that. We got into chaos. We got into uh, whiteboard mode. We used to come to office every day. We said everybody has to come on time. We started doing 10, 20 experiments. Now our growth is back on track. Now at a thousand crore base, we'll grow 35%. So almost the choice, off. what you're referring to was essentially a buy versus build. When you find yourself in a hole, you can either buy your way out of it or build your way out of it. But buying your way out of it in more, more often than not doesn't work. Because at some point you have to, see at some point those businesses will also go through a strategic inflection point. And I believe now that meet my... Uh, Could I ask you to define, I mean, uh, what is a strategic inflection point? Strategic inflection point is that, uh, you know, you had growth, your business was growing, you had a product, but suddenly either some change in technology or market or something else has changed the behavior and now your business is not growing. And in, in your case, what was that? Uh, opening up of offline. So we, we have... So the, easing of the pandemic restrictions yes. and people returning to offline classes was the big strategic inflection point for you. Yeah. The funding environment was not... It, it Does it not compute at the same level? Is it a lower risk or... I mean, we raised 440 million five months before this recession started. I, I like to call it recession. I think we are in the middle of a recession. Those who don't believe it are living in a bubble. Uh, I closed my round in August 2021. Jan, Feb is when things got fucked. Uh, the stocks crashed in US tech stocks. Uh, liquidity became an issue. So I think, uh, yeah. There is a saying that... So so we have, you... we have 300 million in the bank. We are in top five or six most capitalized startups in the country right now. And we massively reduced our burn. I mean, I had my board meeting on 14th and I have never seen my board members so happy. I mean, even during the growth phase, they were ecstatic because I think we realized that things are going to be pretty bad much sooner. We did our first round of layoffs in Feb of 2022 when nobody was doing layoffs. And we realized that uh, if we don't fix our shit, uh, you know, we might become like one of those big companies that get stuck. Uh, and there, we is, didn't... there is this saying: if you if you got a panic, panic sooner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and I'm just not trying to link it back to your panic attacks because you were physically experiencing panic attacks. Have they disappeared? Yeah, yeah now they have disappeared. I think uh, I have not had one. I think October is when I had the last one. But I'm also happy that. You know, I have uh, Roman and Himesh and I complete 10 years this year. Uh, Roman and I have been childhood friends like since 11 standard. So I think uh, I've had a great support system also. And some of our investors, like I, I have a very deep relationship with uh, some of the investors, Shailendra, etc. And these were super supportive people. I mean, they were uh, tough that you got to do this, uh, but they were also super supportive. Like Shantanu of GA, Samir of Nexus, Shailendra, Sumer of SoftBank. Uh, and I think one thing that helped us, which I would tell other founders to do was, we always gave the bad news to everyone. Like if if things were not good, uh, 
we just sent everyone a message on whatsapp that this is what's happening uh we never avoided confrontation and one thing i see in founders who are failing is that they are just avoiding confrontation they will not talk to their investors because they are fucked but what they don't realize is that instead of doing the shoddy shit that a lot of founders these days are doing to speak to your investors just tell them that you know uh, your business is fucked they will help you i mean they are in this business that they took a risky bet so they know there will be ups and downs but don't uh, don't hide stuff on academy is a very strategy driven company and i don't just say this as an observer you yourself have said that leadership typically spends about what 25% of time on strategy now strategy over the years it used to be a cool term once upon a while then it got devalued to the extent that if someone said that i want to work in strategy you would look at that person and say it's because you don't know how to work and yet you take pride in the fact that you're a strategy heavy company and then you spent like a quarter of your time on strategy where does that come from and why is that important so i think if somebody is just a strategist uh, then that's not cool because i think the best strategy uh, will be always made by people who are also execution people uh who understands the nuances of education i mean there are times i speak to my educators directly and then that gives me an idea etc uh but again let me correct you on that uh, 25% of the time of maybe five or six people we are a very top down culture we are not a bottoms up culture we don't necess- what does that mean i mean we don't necessarily ask people what we should do it's usually the four or five people uh, on the top who decide this is what we have to do and uh, everyone has to execute that uh, we don't waste time in aligning people if you are not aligned to Why? us uh, i think that's that's a waste of time until you figure out a business first uh, i think it's the job of the ceo and the cxos on the top to figure out strategy and uh, since we are very close to the business etc from a we are not very close to the business uh, from a ground root point of view because uh, sales people would be but we we are the ones spending time on the dashboards we are the ones uh, thinking about the competitive landscape etc so we take inputs asynchronous inputs that if you have inputs send us we'll review that if you have ideas if you are a director and if you have ideas send us those inputs but uh, we don't have like an ideation session or something like that it's usually the top 3 or 4 or 5 people who decide what's to be done what do you gain by operating like this and what do you lose by operating like this possibly i mean if those top 5 people are bad at strategy then essentially the company can fail uh, what we gain is immense speed i mean uh, whoever when when new leaders join our organization even from some of the best companies like like flipkart or you know paytm or zomato like whatever like when they join us from the best company they used to they come thinking that oh i come from a unicorn company which can move very fast more often than not 9 out of 10 times they are just surprised by the speed of execution um we decide things and we set deadlines and we achieve them um uh, and we are almost uh, like 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 it's almost a sin to not achieve your goals or numbers at an academy uh, unless you know that something is wrong 
then have a discussion like like if there is a leader who has been given a target if something is wrong okay then say that you are not going to achieve it let's figure out other ways etc um but but what we gain is immense speed what we lose is that people complain that uh gorav doesn't listen to other people he doesn't listen to new ideas uh we are all just at the end of the day executing what he wants uh this is what i lose uh so some of the best of the best people some of them there are some people who like this structure but some people will say that uh, we don't have strategic autonomy we have operational autonomy he will not get involved in how we are doing those things but what to do uh, is usually decided at the top you seem to be an intensely goal driven organization what kind of a system do you do you adopt like for instance like an okr methodology or anything else to align the entire organization around execution goal setting metrics etc okrs we tried i think they are too complicated at the start of the month uh, at the start of the year we'll set our yearly goals at the so we just have a concept of iconic goals like what do we want to be like one of our iconic goals is that 50 to 100 million dollars of revenue should come from pure tech businesses offline centers and test prep is not a pure tech business it's it's content plus tech but graphy is a pure tech business now that's an iconic goal it will take 3 4 years to achieve that or the fact that we have to get to a billion dollars in revenue uh, with let's say 20 250 million dollars of free cash flow it's an iconic goal so so iconic goal is usually the direction that you want to know you're going yearly goals are targets for the year um, how much will will you burn how much will you grow and then they have to be broken down every month and it's uh, see at the end of the day the the only goal setting system works that works is reviews you meet the team you see whether they are on track to hit their numbers or not um it is it is not a, a cool thing to do these reviews are tough they are draining for me also uh, but that's that's how you maintain that rigor um you know like like it's very that frank slutman approach where uh, you just have to bring in the rigor it's very clear what you operate the space that you operate in the company that you run is fundamentally about talent and creative talent yeah what are some of the hacks or tricks that you have to spot and find talented people see over the years um i think i think there is a lot of great talent that exists i think at the end of the day my interviews are just about whether we are on the same wavelength or bandwidth for example number 1 uh there will be a lot of compromises on work life balance now if people who work closely with me fundamentally disagree on this then we don't usually end up hiring them there will be a lot of late nights there will be a lot of saturdays um i will call you at 1 am to discuss something um so i think that's second in general people who are confrontational do really well in life and and life do, or on academy both both in general what i've realized is that uh, even some of the best ceos um, i mean i mean i i know of some ceos in india who 
are not taking tough decisions in a market like these because they are non-confrontational. Um, they don't want to admit uh, that they are wrong or to tell somebody that they are wrong, etc. So I think... Uh, is that a cultural thing? At an academy? No, I mean, is that an Asian cultural thing, Indian cultural thing? Because we are generally less confrontational to use your word. and Yeah, I mean, people in my network tell me... We I'm, don't like saying no. We yeah. don't like... Yeah. you know telling maybe. people the truth to their face maybe maybe because uh, uh uh i mean people close to me tell me that i'm the most confrontational person that they know of so but i think at an academy will what find. do you think have you met someone who's more confrontational than you i think dipinder Uh, of Zomato is more confrontational than me. Bhavesh of Ola is more confrontational than me. Um, I think uh, I think Shailendra is con- confrontational, though though Shailendra is polite confrontational. He will like I can sometimes come across as extremely rude while confronting, uh, but you know some people are also good at communicating the same message politely. Uh, I struggle uh, in that. I have to really, really prepare myself. Oh, I'll use these words, etc. But, but I think I think what I've seen generally is, uh, you know, I was I was reading about Mr. Beast, who's the biggest YouTuber in US. He's pretty confrontational with his team. So I think um, somebody need like people need to be smart. Otherwise, they won't be hired at an academy. They need to be coachable. um because if if they think that they have made it in life they will probably leave the org in 10 days because we uh, usually in 10 days they realize that uh, whatever they learned they have to unlearn that in terms of speed execution etc third they have to be thick skinned uh, there are brutal reviews where we tell them that this was probably the shittiest performance or shittiest month or shittiest feature or whatever like we are very upfront about that and then in general they have to be pretty confrontational uh, that hey i didn't like this or you are doing this wrong we should change the strategy etc because what happens is when you have such a strong headed leadership or such a strong headed ceo i don't want yes people around me so i think people who do really really well are the ones who pick fights with me and uh, i think i think now now i have a 60 70% hit rate i can tell after a half an hour catch up with someone whether they are going to uh, uh you know do well with me or not uh, and they need inherently people who are rebellious uh, do well so yeah you said that typically in the first 10 days of working at an academy people will come to know whether it's for them or not Now I'm sure you arrived at this through trial and error. There would have been the early years where you hired people and then they realized and you realized that they were not a fit and then they left within maybe 10 days or 15 days or a month or two. And then over a period of time you must have figured out ways to try and assess that before bringing them into the system because at the end of the day you also don't want to spend a lot of time and effort hiring someone only for them to realize within the first one month what are some of those i mean 50% is also 
आई मीन द कैन और मॉर्निंग कॉन्टेक्सट और मॉर्निंग मनी कंट्रोल रेड एन आर्टिकल सो वॉट हैपन्स इज वेन द नरेटिव गेट सेट दैट इज वेरी टफ टू वर्क एट एन अकेडमी यू आर फिल्टरिंग आउट फिफ्टी परसेंट पीपल बाई डिफॉल्ट सी बिकॉज आई नेवर आई मीन देर वॉज ऑब्वियसली सम एग्जैजरेशन टू दीज स्टोरीज बट देर इज ऑल्सो सम ट्रूथ दैट इट्स अ टफ वर्क कल्चर आई एम अ वेरी डिमांडिंग सी यू एंड शुद there are some people who are inherently attracted to that culture so that is step number 1 usually people know people have heard some instance of some story of you know i was this brutal in a meeting or you know i did this but still they came for the interview so so you did sound that in this podcast as well which is you are again signaling to listeners that this is a tough place i am a demanding ceo so yeah, yeah. don't join me if you are not signing up for this yeah and i think i have i have been pretty see it's it's demanding but it's like it's very fulfilling some of my current and ex employees have said that they have done their best work at an academy um because we push people a lot for quality we push people a lot for speed uh, there is burnout uh, but then we usually tell people to take few weeks off and then come back but, but what was your question i forgot the question No, oh, I think you kind of answered it because we were just talking about um, when you find people, what questions like what can you do in the interview or in the pre-joining phase that reduces the likelihood of you know bringing someone on board who may not turn out to be a fit because it's so, bad for both so company and employee. So one hack, one hack I do is to determine whether somebody uh, is coachable or not is making them do something. which is completely outside of their comfort zone for example i was interviewing the sales leader and i said um, i want you to learn python in two days basic python and i want you to create this then you will come to me and i'll ask you to create a program in front of me i mean he did it gorav do you think you're replaceable at an academy i think there are some businesses definitely that don't need me um because we have strong systems and strong leaders there uh, so i think partially it's true but there are some businesses for example the online test prep business is going through a strategic inflection point i think i'm needed there so 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 my operating style is also that i don't have any recurring meetings on my calendar zero i don't do recurring reviews i wake up in the morning i have this one hour thinking time where i take an ipad and pencil no whatsapp no slack nothing i just write down the priorities and usually i know the 10 areas i need to focus on so if if at a point i see that oh our pedagogy in centers is not good so there is where i'll spend the week etc so i think i'm fairly replaceable in some parts um, and and that's a good thing because that helps me then focus on new products um and the better systems i build for my existing products i can focus on new products because i mean our obsession towards continuously building new products and disrupting what we have already built uh, i mean that's the core dna of the company what are some of the first principles that you find yourself turning to when faced with situations that you haven't dealt with see in a business you know shailendra always talks about uh, these fundamental truths of a business great businesses have high gross margins companies that burn a lot 
rarely become profitable so you know shailendra at some point taught me many of these uh, principles whether it's compounding whether it's cross margins whether it's um, like business model of a software business versus a content business or, or an educator led business i think at at the end of the day most of the times when we fuck up it's rarely an execution issue more often than not it's a business model issue when white hat what's the difference I, like I, to an observer from the outside i'll tell you i'll give you a very interesting relevant example so karan bajaj is selling white hat he has an offer from bajus now uh somebody from nexus calls me says if you would like to build, look at this deal uh we can connect you i get on a call with karan bajaj amazing top line revenue etc but i think i didn't have enough money then to buy his company but i really wanted to buy it in retrospect i got saved because i realized i didn't have enough sense of business model then i now do that businesses that are heavy service oriented see our online test prep businesses my one celebrity teacher can teach 10000 students live in a class and there is no expectation from the learner for one on one because these people know ki you know this is the best teacher of kota offline center mein to usko wo milta hi nahi teacher because offline centers say you need to be in the a1 batch to get access to that teacher so the person sitting in indore is fortunate that the best kota teacher is teaching me so fundamentally the when i add more subscribers my gross margins become better because my cost of goods sold or my teacher salaries are not increasing but whereas a white hat junior or in our case we did acquire this company called mastery and swift learn the problem with both was service businesses i mean you have to scale then you have to get teachers you have to train them it's one on one service product has no role to play you have no moat you can take your classes on zoom it won't matter it's cac performance marketing etc so essentially what what we have realized is that fundamental truths of businesses is what the first principles we come back to does your business scale like a media business or a gaming business or a software business does does your business have great uh, gross margins because but yet you also said that it's only this month that you are breaking even so it took you a while to internalize this and to execute it within an academy itself was it because you raised too much capital and you didn't have to worry about no this? no i that's different i online test prep business has amazing unit economics the problem was i didn't know that tam would be a problem it's a totally addressable market yeah Uh, I think I think that's what will You're happen. You're saying it's not big enough. Yes, that's the problem. Um, uh, and I love edtech, but that's why I'm trying to diversify from edtech, because I mean it's big. Sorry, but why is that? Like from the outside to a layperson, it looks like India is soon to be the world's most populous country. We've got large number of young people. They're all growing up. Education is on every parent's budget, and yet you're saying total addressable market is a problem. Why? No, no. See, what will happen if is that if the companies are truly, truly ambitious, I mean, our time is not as much as HDFC Bank, right? Or our time is, you know, Amul did a revenue of fifty-five thousand crores, whereas the largest offline coaching center does a revenue of three thousand crores. So fair. So you're saying that the number of people who can drink milk or have a bank account versus those who want. Yeah. Okay. Plus, it's also about uh, retention. 
we are a one time product whereas these products you build a brand you you got into a bank and you you know you are a customer for life you are but you you're you're a net tech and there are ad techs that strive to play a much broader role from i think i think that's wishful thinking i think ad tech essentially is a one time product unless you are uh, building a school but schools are not supposed to be businesses in india they are supposed There's to trust just yeah. like hospitals are not supposed to be businesses in india yeah so i think but uh, even if they were they are predictable annuity businesses not multiples businesses yeah and then you know there is there are some regulations on how much fees you can increase etc but uh, i think that that's wishful thinking that uh, edtech will ever have recurring revenue uh, people don't learn unless they have an objective i used to think that you know we'll make the school product where you can come and you know netflix of education and i think it was an interview with the can only uh i said will be the netflix of education i used to think people would want to learn new things people don't give a shit they don't want to learn anything they would rather watch tiktok or instagram reels they only want to learn if there is an objective will i get a better job so you have eruditus we will i get a degree so you have eruditus will i get a better job you have scalar can i crack this exam you have test prep so i think it's very utility driven that i have this goal i want to learn a language duolingo and i don't want to learn a language because i woke up one day and i i am either going to a country for studying or i am going for a different job that's what that's why i want to learn so i think uh, i think that fundamental truth sometimes bogs me down that edtech is great unit economics are great but we will have to diversify because it's it's just not big enough for our ambitions um i think at some point are there areas where you've already started that work or is this lying largely still in the future your diversification i mean i'm like for example cohesive has nothing to do with that tech uh cohesive is uh competing more with notion uh where we want to or or canva where we want to be this tool for creators to create stuff using ai uh, next level is competing with nokri i mean nokri time is huge 60% profit margins etc so i think uh, uh uh yeah we have started diversifying uh but Uh, we are at an early stage last year was anyway the focus was on core and cutting burn uh, i think in 2 3 years people will start looking at us as a much broader technology company rather than an edtech company education will still be our uh, cash generating engine uh, but we would want to do many many things that are apart from education as well is there a company globally that you'd start to resemble then or would it be a mix of companies that you'd start to resemble I think I think Tencent is a good example that you know they have. See, I'm not saying we'll have ten categories, but let's say Tencent was communication, gaming, so we'll have these two or three macro categories. Uh, yeah. What are Unacademy's core principles? See, I think I've uh, seen you refer to some of them uh, in your interviews, etc. Is there like a list? Is it? is it something that like other things some of them which are stronger than the others that you find yourself referring to more often i mean one is definitely sports team not a family uh, we uh, uh, performances also netflix yeah uh, has something like this yeah. or yeah, used to we, have we we copied this from netflix um the other principle is that uh, we have to be tech and product first we have to think of moats we can't just say that let's hire more people to do this problem uh the third is that we have to continue to disrupt our own selves 
and fourth is that everybody in every single team has to be super ambitious uh, but i think one thing that we don't have it as a principle that's written but i think uh, uh, i think one of the things that i've learned in the last one year is that we have to be extremely good at strategic inflection points because this is where uh, companies are made or companies go down i mean i'm telling you that uh, in 3 or 4 years from now uh, out of the top 3 at techs the other two won't be relevant like i can give this on record because they are just not good at handling strategic inflection points either they are not aggressive enough or the founders are not even on the ground solving issues um, i mean i think i think that's what see because 2021 every single at tech company got money it's it's 2022 and this year is when the real test is what phrases are you known for inside an academy do you have stock phrases that people know you for i mean i i mean either i end up loving something a lot and i'm like oh this is best and this is awesome or i just say this is shit that's one and second is uh, uh i'm fairly particular about how we communicate internally so if people have a comma error in there uh, we have this principle called your grammar nazi yeah if people have this uh, so so one of our principles is, is it starts with the comma there is this book called the score takes care of itself uh, about this coach bill walsh and he said that winning is about the small things uh like when he became the coach of the team he got the receptionist to answer the phone well etc so i think i think how we communicate if you speak to anybody how much people pay attention to detail yeah. reflects in how they treat other aspects yeah. of their work i mean and well. at one point i thought people thought that i've gone crazy that because you know they shared a screenshot and they were highlighting someone so i i responded by you know that the circle or the oval that you draw is not proper can you resend that could be just that are you an ocd <laughs> yeah i think i am um yeah all right what is something that has made you proud in the last few weeks or maybe a month i was actually doing this exercise with myself in the morning see i take pride in two things i don't take pride in raising the most money i don't take pride in doing the best brand campaigns uh, and we are we have raised good amount of capital we have done some really good brand campaigns but at the end of the day we take pride in either great product great strategy or great execution did we make something that was significantly better than what others did second did we do something strategically that nobody else did and we won third did we execute it in a such a disciplined manner that was better than anyone so i'll i'll and i was just making a list of things that we have done in the last couple of years for example when we launched in 2015 we had this an academy educator app where uh, it was like a tiktok style app but for education you could create videos on the phone so uh, our competitors were selling uh, sending pen tablets to educators and laptops we just said download this app create videos 1 million videos got created through that and we got our initial distribution on our app um, second was the subscription product we were the first ones to launch third we were the only probably edtech test prep company which launched 40 examinations until now 
either somebody was known for two or three examinations je neat or time was known for cat or jk shah was known for ca we launched 40 categories and you know my other two competitors uh, had their core business drop by 40% last year we had a flat year 0% but we didn't see degrowth because of this multi uh, so diversification and creation of optionality yeah is well, a very important thing for you and for an academy yes uh then uh, you know we were the first ones online to hire the most expensive quota teachers and bring them online like earlier people were not playing this game uh, uh we okay. you know i i i get the idea you've got a lot of this thing. my question was really about something instinctive that you felt proud about in the last this thing a lot of these i grant you these are things that you have rightfully uh you know uh, feeling proud about but yeah but it it's just that i wrote them in the morning that's why i, I got office or work I got, from home i got oh 6 days in office <laughs> i'm kidding what? i mean 6 days for people who are working closely with me 5 days for everyone else what does a productive day at office look like that makes you feel satisfied at the end of the day it has to be a good mixture of design reviews product reviews execution reviews and some thinking sessions with solo work where either i'm reading a book or i'm doing some brainstorming with my own self uh because i think the best strategy sessions are the ones where people come prepared uh, uh in advance like they have come up with 10 ideas and now we are just discussing those ideas we are not thinking on the spot so does a lot of your strategy get formulated in the review meetings or are they separate the lot of the strategy gets formulated when leaders do these solo thinking sessions and when we sit uh, over a cup of coffee or something then we brainstorm these ideas and that's where we have the magical spark uh, magic moment what part of your job do you wish you didn't have to do really there's nothing no, I'm, that I'm, <laughs> you don't wish you didn't have to do i'm just thinking uh right let's come back to it what have you changed your mind about managing people if at all if there's anything that you've changed your mind on i mean i, I used to trust people a lot less uh, now i trust them a lot more um because uh, because i was a micromanager on day 1 um i would want to get into everything now i'm fairly good at delegating stuff and only micromanaging things that are bothering me uh i think i'm 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 more i i trust people much more now than i used to uh like uh, i i think it also comes from the fact that i can handle my paranoia much better now uh, earlier i used to get very stressed how how did you manage to do that like do you meditate is it just practice is it just that you've gone through so much that now you've just figured out how to handle it what is it what changed i think that one hour of solo thinking uh is uh is what changed everything so either it's when did me, you start doing that and I, i think what two, what triggered it two two and a half years ago so i was in london uh and uh, my phone's battery died and i was walking in hyde park and 
I was nobody was with me, and I ended up walking for two hours, and I took a paper and a pen from somebody, etc. I think I got some of the best ideas because I was not constantly on WhatsApp and Slack, and I can't meditate. I am too impatient to meditate, but I can, I can do this walk and I can write down these ideas, etc. And I also realized that a lot of anger that I had towards uh, certain teams who had not delivered, etc. Uh, I would just write down that this is what they have to fix. So when I started giving, uh, like v- when I started telling teams instead of saying that, why the hell have you not delivered your numbers? Rather than saying why don't you do this, uh, I think my uh, this whole feedback loop became much better. Uh, uh, I think I think some people who are working with me now would not have been able to work with me in 2017. Because I was just too much of a micromanager, but today I think we have a great leadership. Uh, very rarely people churn from our senior leadership, whether it's Tina, our HR head, who's been with us for three, four years, Subhu, Vivek. So, so the point is that uh, I mean this has changed a lot, because inherently I was that impatient micromanager, and and I think that those thinking sessions. Uh, was was sort of a form of med- meditation. You're still impatient. You're just not a micromanager now. That's what you're saying. No, I'm I'm also impatient, but I'm not impatient in expressing it now. I would document it. That's that one hour window in the yes. morning that you're having to yeah. tell us what does it look like. What? So I have realized that the impatient essentially stems from uh, the fact that you don't have answers. So let's say it's 10 a.m. I woke up. I'm worried about X thing. If I don't think about it and I go to office, usually I'll, I would call the team and I would be like, what's happening? Why have you not delivered this, etc." So I would pass on the pressure, but it would not be constructive. Now what I do is I would think about that topic for one, one and a half hours. So I, you're doing a root cause analysis. Yeah, I'll take a very long shower. I'll go for a long walk or I'll sit with an iPad pencil. and. You mentioned shower. I feel compelled to tell you there was this very interesting research that I came across today which said, why do you get the most interesting ideas in the shower? And the reason is because when you're in the shower, the water that hits your head, it's, it's almost like you're in a sensory deprivation zone. It yeah. shuts off a lot of your senses and therefore a lot of your brain is able to suddenly like switch on and focus on things which are in the background yeah. which is essentially why a lot of people get great ideas in the shower. Yeah and I think if you are taking a walk in the nature also. Again, sensory deprivation, you don't have WhatsApp in front of you, you don't have all the other distractions so yeah, so, so I would just take three, two or three cups of black coffee and would go for this walk uh, and Is this now? Like is, is this the one hour in the mornings that yeah. you refer to now? Yeah. I mean, on some days, I just want to sit and write on my iPad. On some days, I want to take a walk. On some days, I want to take a long shower. Um, yeah. So I think... Uh, is this something that you calendar in? Or is no, it just a, part a, of your schedule now? It's a ritual. Like, I do this for 60 to 90 minutes every day. Um, and... Um, Usually, sometimes what uh, uh, it's it's like the airplane mode. What usually also happens is when it gets over, probably seventy or eighty people get messages because I turn off the airplane mode and uh, that happens. But I think, I think then instead of, I think then my feedback is much more channelized. Uh, I think this has been the biggest shift 
uh, in how I operate. Uh, and 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 the other biggest thing I operate is that uh, I'm like I try to be good at uh, focusing on the Pareto principle stuff. That if I just get these three stuff, three things right, that would have eighty percent impact rather than focusing on the small stuff. Like I knew, uh, like at at any point at any month, I'll have four or five big priorities: X Y Z product launch, this strategy, uh, or this much cost or whatever, and we would just get that right. Earlier, I used to uh, make a fuss about everything. Now I pick three or four things that have the highest impact, and uh, we call this needle moving things. So, you know, sometimes I'll when I meet a leader and I they are not delivering their numbers, my first question to them is, "Can I see your calendar?" When I see their calendar, they are just wasting their time doing random recurring meetings that have no impact. I'm saying you would rather just wake up. There is this principle called Ivy Lee productivity. Ivy Lee productivity says wake up and write the six, seven things that will have the most impact and the toughest, and and then sort them from the highest impact to lowest impact, and do it in that order. Don't do anything else. So I think I am I'm a fan of that approach because that approach necessitates you having to say no to a lot of things, correct? Because by virtue of picking something which is important and tough you're also leaving out a what does that do when people come to you and say hey i want this can you do this can you do this do you find it easy to say no i mean that's one privilege of being the ceo that uh, yeah i mean we can say no a lot so um, on a scale of 1 to 10 how would you rate yourself as a ceo and as a spouse I don't know. I, I normally ask parent but let's go with spouse in your case. I think maybe 4 or 5 on 10 as a CEO I think I have a lot to learn. I think uh, uh I'm nowhere close to and maybe uh 2 or 3 on 10 because I'm not able to give time to Rima. That says something right that <laughs> both of your the most important roles your No but your, but my but my wife would rate me higher and my uh, investors employees. would in my yeah. investors and employees would rate me higher i just think uh, uh, and sometimes you get this debate in your head i just think that uh, my expectation of myself is much more than what the shareholders or the investors expect of me uh, like they would be happy if i deliver half of what i'm planning to uh, but i wouldn't be happy so i think that's that's the problem if you were locked in a room for 24 hours without any internet 24 hours mind you not one 60 minutes or 90 minutes what would you do i mean i love thinking i can i can just uh, like i can just sit and think for hours and hours and i just need a paper and a pencil or uh, an ipad and an apple apple pencil and what's your favorite cuisine or dish something that you eat 6 or 10 times when you go out indian <laughs> i what a... indian indian is not even a cuisine it's just so many cuisines within there or a dish i mean i love i'm a punjabi i love indian food it's you know rajma chawal or chicken and garlic naan and <laughs> i mean the usual stuff but i also uh, occasionally would like thai curry and rice and you know the which morning of the week do you look forward to the most I think Monday. Uh 
because mondays are usually uh, see i i have an issue that i am a workaholic so sundays i get very bored i'm like okay you sat with friends you had some shisha you you chilled you had a drink you watched some netflix but what i really 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 love doing is work so i just want to go back to the office on monday because this is what happens with me on a vacation also i can't do a vacation for more than 3 days like my honeymoon was 3 days because third day i was like i need to go back to my office so so the hack that i figured out is that me and my wife and some of our friends would take these weekend getaways because for a weekend i can chill third it's almost like they're training you to gradually get to longer vacations <laughs> We yeah. get from a no, weekend I'm, to no, three no, days I, and no, then to five con- days. No, but I'm a super control freak on vacations also. Like unless there is a planned itinerary and everything is on the calendar. Oh, you're like the worst <laughs> person to vacation with. <laughs> no, no, but they love it because, like, I would have taken care of the fact that if we are leaving the hotel, then there will be sandwiches and parathas in the car for everyone. Like they initially thought it's a bad thing, but then they would. take like like i managed to the point that if somebody likes sparkling water more than still water then in their car they'll have that so so like you know i, I would optimize to that level and i did ask you earlier do you have ocd tendencies now i think it's very clear that you do like this aspect of yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 how happy are you with your life uh, now i'm probably 7 and a half 8 uh, 6 months ago i was probably a 2 or 3 now um now i think the business is in a better shape i have i gained a lot of weight in the last couple of years so i have started taking care of the health lately i'm eating better i'm playing tennis three times a week uh it's a long journey i have to lose weight but uh, i get tests done every quarter so metrics are normal uh, i am able to spend time with rima and my pet dog i have a shih tzu called albus so um, and i have a good circle of friends so i think i think i'm fairly is there uh, something that you've geeked out over recently a product a service a book anything uh, everything in ai i mean it's 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 so fascinating like literally uh, 24 hours ago i saw a video uh, and it looked like a very real video text but it generated from text no no there was this human being but at the end of the day that was an ai person uh text generated i mean i got a lot of flack for it on twitter also that this is basic but see that's where it will start it will be the basic stuff but then you'll learn yeah but the improvement is exponential not yeah. linear so i think uh i think everything that's happening in ai second i'm very fascinated by robotics i think when i was growing up my parents didn't have a mobile phone i think my father got a phone when i was in 10th standard um and then suddenly i had a phone when i was in 11th and i used to talk to my friends on sms then college sms was like a thing and then like by the by the time college was ending a few of my rich friends had blackberry and then everybody in 3 years was on whatsapp so this drastic shift from mobile phone to internet to social media i think i think the next generation would see this in robotics i think every single person or a family or household would have some form of a robot so i think i think that's uh and i'm i'm not even talking about self driving cars like i was an sf and you know about this company cruise cruise is like they have all gms yes right? they have yeah. already rolled out driverless cars it's super fascinating that 
whether it's content creation or driverless cars or robotics i think next 10 years people don't realize that they are going to be so different from the last 10 because see last 10 may 2007 is when the iphone was launched so let's say by the time 2011 2012 it kind of picked up everybody had a smartphone so last 10 years was the smartphone next 10 i think we are talking about fundamental shifts thank you so much gaurav thanks a lot for uh, inviting me and asking me interesting questions thanks for your candor yeah. thanks if you're hearing this it means you hung on till the end thank you i need your feedback and ideas to make first principles even better better guess better questions better subscriber features please click on the first principle subscriber survey link in the show notes and send me your thoughts if that's too much then you can just type in the hyphen ken.com/fpsurvey i'd hugely appreciate it and as always thank you for listening